and welcome back to Brick by Brick. I am your host, Emily Verbecki, and today we're back at the microphones um, in our co-working space in downtown Albion, the office Albion and Pure Albion. If you happen to hear some noises and banging in the background, that is the sound of work happening upstairs in the 400 block uh, for some new apartments um, under Brick Street Lofts. So if you hear some of that banging, we apologize, but we really don't wanna ask them to stop working. Um, it's exciting to have that work done. So today we are really excited to get to know Bob Dunklin a little bit better and hear about his story of Albion and how he came to Albion and the things that he's been working on here in Albion. Bob moved um, to Albion um, in the early, you said 1950s. 1960s. 1960s. Um, and it has kind of made Albion his home. He was correcting me because I was under the impression that uh, that he came when Mayola, um, his wife, came and, and got a teaching position, but he's got a great interesting story about how uh, he kind of did a detour um, and ended up here in Albion. So I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit more and I hope you will too. But during our conversation today, I think we really um, will be able to glean a, a, a really unique story um, that Bob has, as well as hearing more about his current leadership roles within the community and what his hopes are for Albion for the future. So welcome, Bob. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. It's, uh, this is very interesting. <laughs> Hopefully that's interesting in a good way, yeah, not one yeah. of those. <laughs> so Bob, we ask all of our guests, very kind of first question is to share with us your Albion story. What brought you to Albion? What's kept you here in Albion? What is your Albion story? You know, my, my Albion story is unique in a way that um, so many people do not realize how, how I got to Albion, when I came to Albion, and what kept me here in Albion. I, I often tell a story, my wife uh, get after me when I tell her, I say, well, you know, I actually came to Albion on my way to California. But I came to Albion to visit some relatives uh, back in the late 1965, matter of fact. Um, I stayed here for a month or so, and I said, uh, wow, uh, I need to make some money. So my cousin asked me, he said, why don't you come go into the Malibu and make some money so you can finish your trip? I did. I went into Malibu and uh, started out as a laborer uh, in the workforce there, pouring this hot molten iron, which was very scary to me at that time. Um, six months later, working as a laborer, I received a call one night. I was working third shift, and my supervisor sit across from me like we're sitting today and asked me, say, Bob, um, and he hesitated. I thought I was discharged. And he asked me, he said, Bob, would you uh, like to become a supervisor? I like to fall on my chair. <laughs> I had no idea that he saw something in me that uh, uh, well, he would ask me to become a supervisor. So I, I hesitated because I wasn't sure. He said, you don't have to let me know today. Uh, let me know by the weekend. 
So I thought about it, talked to my cousins about it, and that was uh, one of the toughest decisions that I had to make at that time because uh, working in a workforce, then stepping outside of that workforce to supervise those same people that you have been working for during that time was one of the toughest jobs in a foundry that one could have. Uh, so fast forward, I did accept the job to become a supervisor. Uh, worked in the milk department for a number of years. Uh, then I got promoted to become a line foreman. Uh, this is where we do the production uh, for, uh, we was running parts for Ford Motor Company, Edens and Chrysler and all of these uh, different uh, companies. And I, I can't forget, uh, as I remember some of these things that happened in the foundry, uh, Mr. Hope used to work for me as I was his supervisor on the line former. And periodically, when we meet each other in the street today, he'll say, I'm not coming in tomorrow, <laughs> as a joke. And, and the core that he's that showing in the bakery, mm -hmm. Therefore, Mr. Hope, is, he's setting a core in, in, into one of the molds. Uh, mm -hmm. I said, Bob, do you know what that is? That was a 599 carrier coal that I remember, I can re reflect on. But yeah, I worked there um, for 17 years. Uh, then I left the Malibu and accepted a job in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, 1970, I think it was, um, worked at a foundry in Cleveland, Ohio. It was more of a more hands-on type of foundry where we did all of the made parts for Mack truck and uh, sprinkle uh, the big sprinkle system. We made big Gray iron, okay. gray iron, which is two different type of metals. Mm -hmm. So what I was doing is kind of honing my skills, learning more about the foundry industry uh, uh, during that time. And, and I fast forward that to, uh, I decided to leave uh, Cleveland. So I decided I, I would send my resumes out. I said, I did told the, my connections that I said, I want to go to Texas because I heard Texas had some different types of boundaries. They was, they was made up different. So I said, uh, see what you find in Texas. He called me back uh, and asked me, he said, Bob, matter of fact, it was uh, Dennis Inquest who was the operation, operational manager when I left. Albion, he had became what we call at that time a headhunter. Oh, okay. Uh, he had intercepted my my, uh, my resume and asked me, say, Bob, you want to go back to Albion? I said, no, I do not want to go back to Albion. He said, Bob, please come up and just talk to them. Hmm. And i never forget, I drove up to Albion on a Sunday. Ken Shamatic, who was the personal director here at that time, uh, sit down and we talked and uh, 
they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. So I came back to Albion in 1979. Uh, believe it or not, there was 1,200 employees working at Malibu at that time. 1,200 employees. Uh, and I, I never forget, uh, six months after I was here, uh, right before Christmas, they laid off about 499 employees. That's about a quarter. Yeah, of the workforce, including uh, everybody wants to know, well, why did they keep you and lay off so many other supervisors and uh, things of that nature? But it was about my skills and the knowledge that I knew I had about the foundry mm -hmm. uh, because I came back and uh, we had that during that time they had just installed a brand new mow line at Malibu, most automated mow line in the world. They was on a work making like in production like 600 mows, mows a day, yeah. a day. And I decided it makes, I made tweaks, did some tweaks to the model, do some, did some tweaks to a few things on the mow line. And I, in three months, we was making 2,100 mows a day. That's a really significant increase. Yes, yes. So uh, from that, uh, I, I run earned a reputation as the as the, as the demand in the Malibu uh, when you want production called Bob. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> so that's kind of uh, my stay at the Malibu uh, during that time. It was, uh, and I met so many. Men, during that time, I I, I t took care of, and I say I took care of them. I took care of them because uh, a lot of men uh, who was working uh, during that time didn't have the knowledge they needed to do certain things uh, uh, in the community uh, with their checks, uh, signing documents, of things of this nature, and I, I helped those men along the way and uh, and a lot of them appreciate that uh, not too many of them are left uh, around now mr hope i, I know was one and uh, who really he I, he wasn't the one that i had because he had he had a he and his brother who was a tuskegee admiral uh, worked for who he ran the machine his name was finest hope uh, he was a Tuskegee Airman. Uh, very, very knowledgeable men. Uh, and I learned a lot from them also. Mm -hmm. So it was uh, great being around and, and growing up and being mentored by those men. I cherish that today. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you then in turn mentored a lot of young men um, that were, were working with you um, and that you were supervising at that time. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I, I tried to show them the advantage of, of, uh, of working and the, the, the great things that could happen if they stayed focused. Uh, and that was one of the issues that we had because the turnover rate was quite high in the foundry. Um, it took a special kind of person 
to work in the foundry. Yeah, it was certainly challenging from everything that I understand and, you know, learned from my own grandfather of, you know, how challenging was that that was and that and how important that work was that that everyone did who could who had the fortitude and and um, or even, you know, gave it a chance. There was, you know, certainly value in people who came in and and, and gave it a chance, maybe didn't end up sticking around, but certainly all that work that was so difficult is, is very valuable. Um, and, uh, and, and it certainly sounds like you helped so many people along the way to find, find paths and know whether it was best to stay or move on, um, but to come away with more skills than what they came in with, it sounds like. Absolutely, absolutely. So many, uh, a young men's, uh, uh, I helped to get into the skilled trades. Uh, I know some young men that I, I helped get into electrical trade, um, the millwright trade. Uh, I was on the uh, committee uh, who we allowed them to come in and present before us why they felt that they could uh, do the work and we was and there was a, uh, I can't remember the number of years they spent going back and forth. They would work four hours and, and, and go to school four hours and had to drive to Battle Creek. Mm. And that was commitment. If they made the commitment to do that, then we saw the good in them coming back and, and they would uh, do their apprenticeship program mm -hmm. with the, uh, the Malibu Iron Company which was a great, so I remember so many who, uh, who uh, went through that program. Mm -hmm. And I think most listeners will know that the, the Malibu, you know, came to an end, but were you still with the Malibu and, and the time that it really wound down? Um, or had you moved on to other things um, prior to that what you know was kind of the, the big wind on of it you know i was i, I saw so many changes uh while working there at the malibu i i retired two years before the malibu closed uh i was my last eight years i worked in the pattern and dye department uh which i was the superintendent uh, mind you, I was the, there was quite a few uh, black uh, supervisors, but I was the only black superintendent that I can remember wow. ever working in Harvard, uh, the Malibu, I went through so many, Harvard, yes. Malibu, uh, Hayes Albion, uh, I think, uh, uh, my, my, my uh, stint there, uh, but yeah, I was, I was there. Uh, but I retired two years before they closed. And did you fully retire, or was it a retire from there and move on to other Well, things? you know, I, re I retired from there, then I sit around, and I, 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 my basement, we had purchased a home, and it wasn't finished. Uh, I said, well, I told my wife, I said, well, I'm going to to our basement. So I started a project that took me about a year to complete. Uh, 
drywall and do all the things that she wanted to do around the house, mm -hmm. build mid deck and all of these things. I was sitting home one day and I said, you know, I, I told her, I said, you know, I have always wanted to be a barber. I, uh, I think I'm going to sign up for barber college. So I did. Uh, I um, got on the phone, called the Lansom Barber College, enrolled, got to school, drove back and forth to Lansing for one year to get my license to become a licensed barber. Mm -hmm. So since that time, I've been a barber. I'm a licensed barber and uh, uh, works up at Irene Unisex, a lot mm -hmm. on the corner of Superior and Mulberry there. Yeah. So how long then, how long does that mean that you've been a barber? Since 2002. Okay. Yeah. Good. So, Good. And so. you keep, are you working, would you consider that full time? That no, I, I actually, yeah. And I, as many things that you're, as you're doing outside, I can't imagine that, 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 that you're doing, you know, 40 I, hours a week. <laughs> no, I cannot. I, I cannot. You know, I started out I, to just, to do something to be within the community to just to talk to people and 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 one really thing that prompted me to go to school is one day I went to the barber shop and I sit there for three hours to get a haircut. Mm -hmm. I said, you know what, this is not right. There's some things we can complain about, but there's some things we can do something about. So right. uh, and this I can do something about. <laughs> so I went to school to become a barber, and from that point, I uh, I see guys come in, and they sometimes you do have to sit quite a while because <laughs> because of the the customer base, you you, you know you you never know uh, how long it takes when you go into a barber shop, and then you the conversations that you hear in a barber shop, you will hear no place else. Mm -hmm. It's unique. Black Barbershop is one of the hubs of the community. And I have to imagine too that you now have been doing it long enough that you are seeing some of even the young men who you barbered for now have their own young sons and uh, and um, Yes. that there's this connection that you continue to be a part of families and um and and even i would imagine that there's some mentorship or even just listening during um you know as you're as you're cutting their hair and things absolutely i i, I often hear uh kids mothers bring their problems to the barbershop and you know and because of my experience my life experience i can share with them some good thoughts, good ideas uh, about different issues, some of the things that may be going through. Uh, it, it just, uh, it, it just a great connection. Uh, when a parent bring their son to the barbershop. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, there's not many relationships like that that are so intimate in a lot of ways outside of your family. Um, there's not many other services that you pay for that can be so intimate for individuals. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yeah. Yes. So a little bit, I'm curious and we'll kind of diverge a little bit. I know you're currently um, 
the president of the Albion Community Foundation. You're also the president of the uh, the Albion branch of the NWACP. Do I have those two right, or has something recently changed? Yes, uh, I'm no longer the president of the uh, Community Foundation. Uh, that's a, a two-year term, uh, and my term ended uh, in December. Gotcha. So, so it's just a recent yeah, change changeover yeah. to yeah. it. So, yeah, I was, uh, you know, I, I've been... Uh, on the board of trustees for years and one of the things that uh, uh, and I can always remember uh, when we start as a trustee of the community foundation we talked about some of the th uh, things that we could do within the community this is when we was down uh, next to the bone mm -hmm. upstairs um, re doing the bone that was a big project for the community foundation that was a huge project and the the vision that the trustees had at that time was if we could get the bone up and running it would attract more people downtown and maybe attract more business to the community and here we are today we see the the fruits of the labor that we the thought that we put in yeah. back when we first started this whole project. Yeah, that grew the group of trustees to have that sort of vision for Albion. It, it can be so hard to have vision like that when every day you're seeing you know the community and families and the residents struggling and and um, and just almost wondering sort of where's the bottom of, yes. of this are we at the bottom yet or is there more to go but to be able to sort of look up and look forward and say we're going to take a huge risk and a huge leap of faith that we think this is worth our effort yes so how many are there a fair amount of the trustees that were a part of that visionary group still active with the the uh, Community Foundation today? Uh, yes, there's quite a few of them still there. I know Elizabeth Showtice was the director during that time, uh, but she's no longer there with us. Uh, but uh, yeah, most of, most of the trustees are still there who uh, was part of that vision. Uh, so do you see that invigorating or fueling the Community Foundation work going forward in, in sort of new objectives, new focus that they that they have for the upcoming couple years, five years, 10 years? Yes, I, I, I do. I think that is uh, so, I do think that is part of the, the, the vision of the Kemp Foundation. I think that is why we move the office out on Eaton Street mm -hmm. corridor because I, one of the statements I remember making is that if we're going to be part of the community, then we have to be show that we're part of the community. Let's move out into the community. And that's why we moved out uh, uh, on each street to try to get out into the community, also the Avenue corridor, the Eaton Street corridor, mm -hmm. and try to help revitalize 
Mm -hmm. that area. Yeah, it's almost a bit of, you know, being downtown in that critical time of working on the BOEM and some mm -hmm. other projects, it's almost like the move also signaled not that the work downtown was certainly done, mm -hmm. but that, that, uh, that the Community Foundation had helped set sort of a course or trajectory for the downtown yes. and could then change a little bit of its focus um, to other areas within within the community so it, it will be i'm because the community foundation has been there um on uh eaton for two years now is it been that about long about two years about okay. two years yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so um so what are some of the key goals or focus for the community foundation um right now i would think uh, some of the goals that we're looking at is uh, is um we want to create a space for uh, citizens in the communities. Like uh, uh, maybe I think one of the things that we talked about, like uh, what do you call them, the garden? Uh, oh, the community gardens? Not community gardens, but the uh, spaces where we, uh, parks. Okay. They can parks on corners or in oh, the community, yes. so where people can come and sit and talk, chat. Mm -hmm. uh, it's about to, to me. A community is about uh, neighbors, and uh, I, and, I, and I often make the statement: as we as a community, sometimes we have more conversation with our friends than we do our neighbors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I. I uh, Communication infrastructure is broken down uh, somewhat in this, in this community, and we need to try to lift that up. Mm -hmm. And certainly creating some of those shared spaces, spaces yes. would be a great starting point to yes. be able to walk in a similar spot or visit a similar spot of neighbors who may not be your friend um, or in your circle of friendship, but could very well be... be become a friend yeah. or yeah. or even just lead to great conversations yes and that's and I think that's uh, that's a great thing about uh, I think communities uh, it, it, it helps to develop a relationship with each other and other than your neighbors so so you're still a trustee on the community foundation, mm -hmm. and um, but you are currently the president of the Albion's chapter of the NAACP. Is that yes, correct? Yes, I, I, I am. Um, that is uh, ongoing uh, thing. I'm the chapter of the local branch, and I'm the second vice for the state. Uh, NAACPs. Uh, so we uh, just continue to, to do the. Hopefully, we was the NAACP vision and goals. The one day that hopefully there's there will be no need for the NAACP. But um, as long as there's uh, racism and things, uh, this nation within our in I world and community, we must uh, stay focused on those tasks and try to root them out. Mm -hmm. So does does the Albion chapter have projects or, or specific areas of focus for 2020 or, you know, the upcoming years to address some of those inequality, racism, 
challenges within the local area? Within the local area, if, if, if we identify them, then we uh, definite work on them. Uh, usually how those things come about is that uh, people bring them to us. Uh, uh, information that they may feel that they have been discriminated against. Uh, we don't go out looking for them. Uh, if we receive a complaint, then uh, the way forward with that, it's uh, the person has to fill out a complaint, bring it to us, and we'll review the complaint and see if, if it has any merit, then we will uh, do an investigation. We work, we work closely with the, the Michigan Department of Civil Rights uh, in a way that uh, uh, things that we can't get the answers to, we ask them to step in to. And help in that investigation yeah, process yes. to understand. What it is that mm -hmm. we're looking at is, uh, is that something that's. Uh, is a violation of civil rights. Right, so rights, and, yeah. uh, whatever. I mean, because it has to do with facts. We deal with facts. I mean, here's Satan, things of that nature. We cannot. Uh, NAACP been around for 111 years. So, in throughout this country, uh, uh, so facts is the only thing that keep us moving forward. Right, and so I would have. I have to imagine, and probably this is. Um, this may not be, uh, it, when I was thinking about the NAACP, I was thinking too, knowing their work in response to issues that come up within, you know, the community, that certainly that's a role. And I also had in my mind that there may be some proactive, you know, project-based things, but that doesn't seem to be, it seems like the majority of the work right now, um, or the NAACP overall is to address complaints and issues that come to the to the local organization. Am I understanding that correct? Somewhat. Uh, I think uh, we do, if we try to be proactive, and in a lot of cases we look at, it, uh, say for instance, uh, mental health, and we look at, and I'm just having a conversation with Dr. Bonner about uh, a vaporing uh, through substance abuse we're trying to come up with a way to uh, head that off because it, that is an issue we see coming to our young people and, and that's uh, one of the things that NWCP really care about is the youth in this community and uh, education is, is one of the our biggest uh, uh, issues that we, we we try to deal with, uh, make sure our students get a good public education within this community. And that's one of my pet peeves. Uh, and I, I must say that because uh, I can't remember back when the annexation was going on and um, we did a letter. Uh, to the editor in reference to why we supported the annexation at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, we knew that our students at the, the Alvin School wasn't getting all of the information that they needed. It wasn't in the classes that they needed, the curriculum that they needed to sustain them to, uh, for the future. So 
that our mission and goal is to make sure that every child in our community get a public, free public education. Right, free and appropriate public education. Yes. That is a that is our right and responsibility as a citizen um, to uh, to provide free and appropriate public education to each and every one of our uh, children and youth. So I, I I wholeheartedly agree that that is. Uh, such a huge component of long-term success for individuals and for a whole community. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And, and I think in our society as a whole as well, you know, certainly yes. it goes all the way up to us as bo both our sort of local community, but um, our larger community um, as well. So, so when you you certainly have been here in Albion for a long time have seen Albion change um, in good ways and bad ways and or less than constructive ways I don't always you know bad it, it, it is it, it happened it, it, it kind of is what it is a little bit um, but as you think I have to imagine with your role and all that you've done with mentorship and um, working with the community foundation that you are often looking towards the future and not as much as reflecting or or dwelling on the past you probably use the past to help inform um, for the future because that is only a good process to not just turn a blind eye to the future but when you look forward into the future what you hope for Albion what things stand out for you in Albion's future One of the things that I think that I, I, I that draws with me more than anything else is to is to diversity in the community. It's here, but I don't think uh, the community itself uh, uh, I don't say managed, but dwell. Uh, uh, on diversity, uh, I don't think we, and I, I was just having a conversation with some gentlemen uh, about, say, why don't we as a community start, uh, it goes back to this, this neighbor, knowing your neighbor, uh, uh, um, more so than you, uh, uh, knowing your you know, talking to your friend more than you talk to your neighbor. Mm -hmm. We had, we had, last year we was going to put together a big uh, gathering out in uh, McCollum Park, which is on the other side of town, mm -hmm. and just invite everyone to come and just share. Let's put together a place where we can just all as people just come together and have a dialogue mm -hmm. and talk about anything. When we uh, do that, I think Albion, to me, will be have accomplished one of the greatest things that people can see for miles around. We'll be, we'll be a role model of, of how to make things better for all people. So what are the challenges do you see of 
making something like that happen. And I have to imagine too, it, it, it can't just be a one time, it has to be the start of doing it regularly, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, and we wanted to do that, make, make it a year in, a year event. This year we'd be in uh, Macintosh Park. Next year we'd be in uh, Holland Park. Mm -hmm. And, and, and with the clear focus on what it is that we're trying to do and make it happen. And the next year it be in Victor Park. Uh, yeah, so that's a really neat idea of, you know, coming into a, a park is a non-threatening environment. It, most people have great memories of spending time in a park as mm -hmm. a child or with their families or, or whatnot. And so it just, it's again, a non-threatening sort of environment where you can just say, we're just coming together. Yes, we're coming together just to talk. Mm -hmm. I mean, people who do not look like you, mm -hmm. people who do not talk like you. Those are the people that you want to talk to. Those are the people you want to talk to. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Well, I hope that that certainly happens. Um, I know I can speak personally to say I will do everything I possibly can to help support a, an activity and effort like that to have it happen once and then have it happen over and over because I do think it would help um, make Albion a um, an example for other communities um, how some sometimes little things can go a really long ways. Yes, I mean, and that's the other thing that NAACP is working on. You know, the NAACP is uh, working on a a, uh, a youth group, I mean, uh, for the Alvin community. Mm -hmm. We have started a youth group in the Marshall Middle High School, oh, okay. which is awesome for at the, having a conversation with uh, Ren, Dr. Renda Davis about uh, uh, a space for those children to come together and because uh, these are still our students, these are still our children, even though they go to Marshall, they go to Concord, they go to Springport. My real vision is to have a youth group within the Alvin community to help. Because Spider said the youth shall lead them. If we bring the youth together, they can help galvanize this whole thing. Yeah, they're the they're the ones that are gonna put in make, long make it, and long and long hours ahead of ahead of us. To, they, will, they will make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. So, what do you think? in all the work that you've been doing and as a resident of Albion, and maybe this goes back to what you have for vision of Albion, but are you, do you think that there are challenges or barriers within our community right now that we either aren't addressing, are, are we afraid to address it, are we, are we, overcome by something that keeps us from overcoming something that will help us move forward? Or do you feel like 
it's not just one thing. It's, you know, there's, there's so many different pieces to it, but maybe there's a, something in particular that stands out to you. Well, you know, the, the thing that when this question is, I, I, I get this question quite often, and then, and, and the one thing that I must say is it, it, the, the elephant in the room is race always is there. Uh, is the, you have to scratch underneath the surface to get to it. I mean, it's right there on top of the surface that I don't think uh, is talked about enough. Uh, uh, in the community, and I think uh, from that, when you hear, uh, and I'm speaking on from both sides of this whole. When I say both sides, I mean from the uh, black community and and the and the white community. I mean, we always afraid to come and have that that conversation. Do you, do you feel like that conversation is challenging to have because there's a worry that somebody on, on any side might say the wrong thing or hurt somebody's feeling and that, or that just keeps us from... I think so, really. I really do. And that if we came in with saying, I probably am going to say something, and I need you to help me understand why that, you know, isn't the right thing or mm -hmm. what I'm missing all around, you know, from everybody to sort of go in with that acceptance of, I'm probably yes. <laughs> screwing something up somewhere along the way, mm -hmm. and I, we need together to figure it out. Absolutely, and that, that's why the conversation is, 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 is necessary, because uh, we none of us have the answer. Individually, uh, right? Individually. Yeah. But the more we talk, we'll, the more we'll more or less see each other the same. But we have to talk. Mm -hmm. If we don't talk, we don't know. Mm -hmm. We always have that stigma within I and I in our mind about what you're thinking and what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. And we probably will find commonalities yes, 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 and shared true. visions yes, yes. and shared goals yes, and dreams. Absolutely. We'll certainly identify a lot of differences, a lot of experiences that aren't the same um, from one person to another person, but that you know, that many people have the same vision for themselves or family or community. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So to kind of wrap up our conversation, I usually ask our guests, you know, we've kind of reviewed all the different roles that you play within the community with the NAACP and the, the uh, community foundation and, uh, and as our community, one of our community barbers. But if, if somebody didn't run into you around town with doing one of those roles, what might else they find you doing in the community? Or what else do you fill your time with when you're not doing those things? If uh, my choice would be, you know, I would hope in, in the next 
few months, a few years, you, you, you will find me on a golf course. <laughs> <laughs> Those, uh, I, uh, I uh, love golf. I haven't been able to play too much uh, in the last year or two because I've been so busy. I, I, I kind of put it aside and uh, hanging out with my five-year-old grandson who um, hopefully will be coming back this way soon. Uh, he's in Monterey, California right now. I have a son who's in the Navy. Uh, 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 so yeah, I, I, I view that as uh, golfing my grandchildren is what I see that uh, you can find me. Mm -hmm. Top priority. Top priority. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, hopefully then maybe you'll be able to take him golfing and that can be yeah. a wonderful shared memory and shared experience yeah, absolutely. for the two of you. That will be my dream. Yeah. <laughs> well, we really, really appreciate you taking your time today, Bob, and sharing all your thoughts and experiences and stories about Albion. We really, really appreciate it. It was wonderful getting to know you better and, and how you your story is so deeply woven into Albion's history and uh, its history, its uh, presence and, it, and its future. So we, we, I really, really appreciate you joining us. And, and I want to thank uh, you uh, and your parents and for all the work that you guys are, are doing within this, for this community. Uh, who would ever th thought that would be a foundry? When I, say, I hear the word foundry, it just pricks my ears up. Uh, in, in a way, because that's where I uh, got my start here in Albion, mm -hmm. from the foundry. Yeah, for us, you know, um, my grandfather certainly taught us the value of hard day's work um, and, and making things with your hands, making something from nothing. You know, our, our society has moved so far away from, you know, taking from almost nothing raw materials and making it, you know, into something and that there is still tremendous value um, in the in the work of, of doing that. And we feel like the bakery is, is a great example of how you can take literally flour and make it into sustainable food for yourself, for your family. Um, and we also hope that it's a great place to have those conversations um, with the community, with neighbors um, while breaking bread or eating a sandwich or eating cookies. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. I, 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 it's a great idea. One day I, I have some old Foundry magazine that if I can ever put my hands on them, I, I, I stored them away. Uh, we used to do monthly magazines mm -hmm. in the Boundary at one time. Uh, and I put some of those away someplace, but I can't put my hands on them right now. I'll share those with you. Yeah, the uh, the Albion History Room at, in the library has a lot of those. Um, and I went through them uh, uh, a year or so ago, we pulled some of the photographs with the library's help for the photographs in there from those magazines. They were such high quality publications. They had such interesting information and photographs. I, I, 
it's it was a way in my understanding for the employees to share with their families and their own communities about the work that was happening to see inside the foundry to understand it better um when you couldn't walk in and just you know walk around right yeah yeah so those those publications are are very cool and yes if you lay your hands on them we would certainly you know love to to view them and uh with great care but uh that would be wonderful sure well, Bob, again, thank you for your time today. Your leadership in our community is very much appreciated, certainly needed, and I'm excited about what the future may hold. I hope our listeners are more excited after listening today um, to our conversation to get involved, find different ways, go out and talk to their neighbors. At the very least, I hope that's a key piece that they take away from today's conversation to explore what that could mean for them and for their for their community, whether it's here in Albion or outside of Albion. So if you have, if our listeners have feedback or suggestions about who we should interview, please get in touch with us. You can visit our website, downtownalbion.com, or leave a comment on one of our episodes. We also hope that you will join us next time on Brick by Brick. Make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast at Brick by Brick on iTunes or soundcloud.com. You can also find and listen to each episode on our website, downtownalbion.com forward slash Brick by Brick. Until next time, we will see you around town.